Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, Gandhi. How are you today? I'm not too bad. How are we doing? I'm I'm very well. I heard that there's uh, mumps in your area. What's happening? Yeah, so, so it's actually a breaking news story. It came out last night that there's been a mumps outbreak in Nottingham um, across the university patches. So actually, before we were speaking, I was just speaking to the radio t- um, team and stuff about you know the medical perspective in that kind of thing, and obviously how mumps is a viral condition, manageable, but obviously something that we need to know about because it spreads so rapidly and things. And just trying to get across the message about vaccinations as well because it's obviously a key part of it. And I mean, for me, you know, these sort of issue of immunization, vaccination, there's a lot of conflicting theories and conflicting mm-hmm. stories. Some experts, i.e. doctors say, no, don't touch vaccination. The majority mm-hmm. of doctors say, please vaccinate. And obviously that's causing uh, a decrease in uptake of vaccination within the general population, yeah. which is causing the outbreak. Yeah. Um, you know, wh- why do we have these sort of rogue people saying, you know conflicting issues which goes against scientific knowledge and yeah. you know you know they're trained doctors they've sort of been sure. through the whole system you know why is this sort of rogue uh, elements of uh, thought processes yeah, I mean, I guess there's a variety of different reasons for that happening. One is that evidence changes all the time for mm. a start. So, some, you know, um, if you go back several years, there were drugs that we used to use that used to be the, you know, this is the best way to treat condition A. Mm. And then 20 years later, we find out the actual impact of those kind of drugs. And it, that's something that only time gives mm. us, I'm afraid. You, you know, that's not something you will find out from day one, from day 10, from mm. year one, year 10. It takes time for that to happen. So, so there is some element of that. I think in terms of the concept of vaccinations, be absolutely clear vaccinations protect the population mm-hmm. that's what they're designed to do yes they definitely protect the individual but it's also to try and protect the population because the more people you protect the less likely it is you'll have outbreaks and that kind of thing so therefore you know it's about protecting your community just as much as it is for yourself in terms of why some clinicians will focus on one particular message that could be down to their own beliefs mm. and, you know, the message they're trying to push. And I guess in particular, when it came to the MMR vaccine, you know, one important thing to remember is that the, the, the key kind of research that focused on that link between um, the MMR vaccine and um, autism, which was the reason why a lot of people kind of said, I'm not touching them, mm. was proven to be debunked. You mm. know, that mm. was something that was looked at numerous times and time and time again, it's been an isolated study. And actually there was a lot of questions raised about the, the protocols and the process of that study that showed that actually it's not something that's been repeatable. Um, so yeah, effectively, I mean, you could also use the term fake news if you wanted to. Mm. Um, yeah, it depends on your perspective and that kind of thing. But unfortunately, the implications mm. of that study is now the consequences we're dealing with today. Mm. So we now have a generation that have not been vaccinated against measles, mumps, rubella. And like I said, we're now seeing an outbreak of mumps across Nottingham. I think it's something like 40 confirmed cases, 250-odd mm. suspected ones. And the problem with a condition like mumps as well, because of the lead time that it has, it spreads like wildfire. Because you may actually carry the virus and not get any symptoms for up to two to three weeks later, 
and therefore you've probably passed it on to several people in that time frame without even realizing it and that's the concern so unfortunately uh, you know it's one of those things that if you had a time machine go back and fix and all be right in the world mm-hmm. you don't so the reality is you know get advice and, and make sure that you're following current trends really yeah yeah i mean it's difficult when you know we're told to listen to authority and yet at the same time we're we're encouraged to question authority yeah um and you know we see that on a daily basis when we're seeing our patients i mean we want our patients to question us yeah because it because it allows us to sort of improve our evidence and improve our way of thinking as well mm. um is there a balance here i mean can we find the right balance or or is it just life you know that's just the way it is I think there's always going to be perspectives that people have and, and some people will hear and listen to one message louder than what some people hear and listen to an, uh, another message. I think the key thing is look at information that is validated. Look at information that is trusted. Don't just go off, oh, my neighbor's cousin's ex-wife said this kind of thing mm-hmm. and this happened because that's a story. That's an individual circumstance that may or may not be true, you know, mm-hmm. particularly when it goes secondhand, thirdhand, fifthhand. You know, how accurate can that information be? Whereas if you go to validated, trusted resources, you know, those kind of things, you will get clear cut. This is the pros. This is the cons. You make the conscious decision that you feel is best for yourself. And actually, if you look at that accurate information, you're able to make the best informed decision. If you go off hearsay, okay, you're trusting, you know, your health, your life, your family's life, you know, to hearsay. Is that sensible? Is that healthy? You know? I think time is really important here. I mean, you know, the issue of time, the issue of experience, you know, how much time have we looked at in this issue? What is Mm -hmm. the experience of this individual who's um, explaining these different theories and and ways of thinking? Mm -hmm. Um, But people don't have time now these days. No, unfortunately, modern life is busy, 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 and everybody wants everything here now and, you know, 10 minutes ago kind of thing. And, and that's a challenge that people have in, in modern society. Uh, and the reality is sometimes you just need to stop. You just need to think. And you just need to take a little bit of time to look after yourself, to, to look at the reality in front of you and, and deal with that rather than just do, 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 moving on and on and on to the next thing. And, and you're right, that's maybe why so many people struggle at the moment because there is such a busyness in terms of how we live, how we work, our, our lives and things. And that probably needs changing. You know, that perspective needs changing. I mean, it definitely needs changing for doctors, you know, in yeah. terms of training, in terms of their workload, in terms mm-hmm. of their work careers and their pathways and just life in general. Mm-hmm. You know, if we gave them, rather than have a, having a time frame, but just say, look, you know... Uh, this is the resources take your time rather than having to rush through everything exactly you know i mean being a gp in three years i mean i mean you learn gping on the job with years and years and years experience you know yeah 30 years down the line you're Mm. much better as a gp than you know sort of going into it having having passed your exams i mean me as an ophthalmologist you know i've been ophthalmologist for 20 years now I mean, mm-hmm. I compare myself now to when I was when I just started my training, or five years into my training. It's just, you know, you can't compare. You just can't no. compare the two. I agree. And and you know that sort of concept of time is is so important. So if you do have an authority who's supposedly saying all these things, you've got to sit down and look at the time frame. Definitely. Time. I mean, you, 
you talk about general practice training and that kind of thing. So you're right. Uh, at the moment, GP training, after you qualify, you do two years of your foundation um, and then you do three years of GP training. And it, it is an absolutely recognized fact across the profession that three years to compile the entire of medicine into is just ludicrous. Um, and you know there is this view that very much that GPs that come out at the end of the three years are competent because they've been assessed by the criteria and stuff and they have the skills to you know manage patient care and that kind of stuff but do they have the confidence that's the question so a lot of the things like you said come with experiences is you know the exposure is the time to see those kind of things that you see as normality because actually about 80 percent of the work i do is telling people that what you have is normal you know it's about recognizing the difference between what is a normal variant or you know or what is actually genuine pathology what is something that we need to be more concerned about we need to look at in more detail and that kind of thing and that comes with experience as well as with training um and you know definitely there is a move towards having a longer gp training time um because it is the most um widest profession in, in medicine you know the only specialty that comes anywhere close is a and e and a and e still focused obviously on the immediate aspect of health and that kind of thing and actually it's one of the areas where we need the most clinicians right now you know we have a massive shortage of gps we were meant to have 5000 next gps by next year and actually compared to where we were we're about 300 less you know so we're losing gps we're hemorrhaging them left right and center so you know having decent training i think is part and parcel of it there are definitely other aspects like you mentioned in terms of the way that we work in the nhs that need to change and i'll give you an example actually um so i'm, I'm a gp trainer i part of my role is to train new gps and i've been doing that now for about um five years or so and i had a colleague um uh, recently who said to me you know what i'm feeling a little bit unwell i'm not sure now what i should be doing and you know i asked him okay explain to me what's going on and he's like well i was just lying on the floor a few minutes ago I was in that much pain from my stomach and i was just like why are you still here? You know, you know, he was actually asking me, should I continue working? That was his question to me. And I simply said, look, you know, you need to look after yourself. The job is busy and it's important. And obviously people's health and all that kind of stuff is at risk and things. But actually, if you're not able to do the job because you're not well, how is that looking after other people? And I completely get it. Many people often feel that if, if I'm not there, then the system will get worse or other people will have more pressure. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, the altruistic aspects of doctors is often overused and you could even say abused to try and make sure that the service keeps running. But I'll be quite clear on this point. It's a message I, I say to a lot of my colleagues, to my peers, all that kind of stuff. If you yourself are not well, how can you ever expect to look after somebody else? We say that to our patients. You yeah. know? How often do we see our patients who are struggling, who are genuinely challenged by what's going on in their life with their health that kind of stuff and they're looking after other people they could be the you know the mom the daughter the brother the the father you know that kind of stuff but they themselves are not well and they're meant to be looking after somebody else and, and yes that's important that may need to still happen but the, also the importance is looking after themselves as well as that other person because otherwise they're not gonna be able to do it and we don't have that clear message often in in the healthcare system at the moment you know in the nhs it is very much look after the patient, look after the system, look after the hospital, the practice, that kind of stuff. We need to look after ourselves just as much as that, if not more so. Yeah, sorry, I waffled a bit there, didn't I? No, 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 you didn't waffle. You know, it's just so, so important. And, okay, there's sound bites and there's rhetoric and mm -hmm. there's 
you know, whatever you want to call it, um, political spin. Yeah. We want actual actionable uh, things on the ground, literally. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about time here, time off work, you know, uh, self-directed, uh, self-help, uh, self what, what uh, self-loving sessions <laughs> where you go off and just yeah. have a have a great time and just sort of spend time on yourself. Yeah. You know, you know, we, we we literally have to force that onto doctors sometimes because definitely because they just don't do it because yeah, it, because that's the culture. True. I mean, it's the message I give to some of my patients. I sometimes turn around to them and say, "I want you to be selfish. I want yeah. you to look after yourself." rather than looking after other people right now because that's the most important thing and that's the same message we sometimes need to give to our colleagues you know our colleagues not sometimes we have to yeah we have to force it on them because they just don't do it definitely i mean you know once they do it they they think wow this is actually helping me so much Mm -hmm. i need to do more of this so when they come back to work they're just so buzzing and they're just exactly you know uh, they're just amazing even even better doctors performing even better and you know you know you know that maxim you know the less you do the better you get kind of thing you know it's, mm-hmm. it's all about doing less not more yeah i mean where is the benefit of you working 12 14 hours a day you know five six days a week how long can you honestly maintain and sustain that you know um, you may, you know, people are, are you know, your listeners out there may be young individuals who think, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. Can you really do that for 20, 30 years? Mm. No. no, it's not going to happen. You will burn out. It's a guarantee, you know. And, and one of the things that we're seeing across general, across general practice right now is if you go back 10 years ago, working nine, 10 clinical sessions was the norm. Yeah. Okay. That, that was the absolute norm across the patch. There were many doctors that used to do that. The complexity, the bureaucracy, the challenges that we now face in healthcare in terms of the, you know, the, the intensity of that workload that we have to deal with mean that I would argue any doctor currently doing nine, ten clinical sessions will burn out with absolute guarantee. That doesn't mean to say they can't do other things, but just doing nine, ten pure clinical sessions, I can guarantee you burnout is knocking on your door at some point because it is just so hard to do that work on a day in day out basis and there needs to be that aspect of looking after yourself so i myself you know i i, I used to work um seven clinical sessions in my practice um and i realized that actually i i was not coping you know um i, I there were other things i wanted to do other things i needed to do and trying to fit that all in um was a real challenge and you know so i had to go to my partners and i, I had to say look you know um i i'm i, I need to still work i want to still work here this is you know my priority more than anything else in terms of my working life but i know i can't do what i'm doing right now i, I may be young you know uh, i'm still under 40 you know um you look about 20 24 mate <laughs> wow okay thank you uh, i'm gonna have to tell that to my wife i don't think she'll believe you um <laughs> but effectively you know i know i can't do that for the rest of my career because it's just going to kill me. And it was, you know, I, I was getting tired. I was getting grumpy. You know, I was getting short with people. It, it, you know, I saw those signs of burnout starting to happen. So I went to them and I said, I need to cut back. You know, I, I know that's going to have an impact on the practice. I know that means it's going to be more difficult. But you come first. That's like I said, it, it, yeah. if you don't look after yourself, you can't yeah. look after others. And actually, since doing that, yes, it's put a bit more pressure on the practice. But actually, we've managed that pressure. And, you know, we're looking at ways. That's also giving me the headspace then look at ways that we can actually change things better 
because now I've got a bit more free time, a bit more spare time to focus on those challenges I've been facing and actually work out how we can manage things more effectively and more safely in the practice as well. So we're seeing some of the benefits, hopefully, of that now, and we will continue to do so. Now, now given that, that um, you, you, know, you like uh, mythology, if you did have a time machine, yeah. where would you go back to and what would you do? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I'd probably go back to university because yep. um and, and say to myself you know the academics important you know all the things that you're doing is really important but also remember to look at yourself you know mm-hmm. focus on what's important to you and learn to say no a bit better i, th- I think that, <laughs> that that's a challenge especially in the medical profession yeah. and especially yeah. in those individuals that do like to perform well that we often say yes to everything and anything that comes our way because we yeah. think that opportunity may not come across or that sounds too enticing or appealing for me to miss so you say yes and then next thing you know you're doing 100 things instead of 10 you know yeah and again how long can you maintain and sustain that so you know saying to myself you know look at what you're doing you know learn to say no sometimes and i'd probably say to myself also go off and invest in google and apple <laughs> you know that's probably a sensible thing for me to have done back then <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, and and you know you like uh, mythological characters. Who's your favourite mm-hmm. and why? Um, so I'm a massive fan of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, uh, so my nickname is actually Doctor Gandalf. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, hands down, Gandalf is one of the big ones up there. Um, I also love um, the comics. You know, Marvel, DC. More of a Marvel fan than a DC fan. Um, but yeah, basically. Why? Any... Um, I don't know. Uh, Partly it might be to do with the names. So Stanley, who who, who recently passed away, unfortunately, um, uh, the creator of Marvel Comics, along with Steve Ditko, you know, he ha- he had this thing where he would always name his characters with the same letter. So Peter Parker, you oh. know, uh, Reed Richards, um, Bruce Banner, you know, it was oh. always, this, and, and that just it was funny to me, you know. It's, it's cool, unique. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's also that um, DC is a little bit more darker, I'd say, in terms of the message. So, you know, the, the Batman, Superman, that those stories are a little bit more um, darker and more unique in the way they come across. They're still great things. Uh, I mean, the Batman comics are amazing and things. Um, and some of the, 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 the lesser known stories are really good. I'm quite into Black Lightning at the moment, which is a lesser known DC character and stuff. Um, so, yeah, comic books. Um, mythology, more along the lines of um, Lord of the Rings. But actually, I, 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 one of my fav- my first introduction to mythology was the Greek stories, you know, the Greek gods and that kind of thing. And, you know, the heroic tales of Hercules was something that, you know, in my head, how could one individual be so powerful? They could do all these various amazing things. And it just, it, to me, was always an inspiration that, you know, how, how could he do this? It just, it just did it was boggling to me you know at the age of seven and eight that this one person could go off and you know lift a barn or he could beat a lion or tame a dragon you know all those kind of things and, and that just was like wow that that's that's imagination there but it wasn't you know that that's historic cultural tales that have been passed down and, and time and time again and i think there's something magical about that really because it helps drive the imagination it helps drive the soul you know mm-hmm. in terms of that message it comes across so yeah any and all kind of mythology. I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to that, I have to admit. What got you started? Was it that sort of inspirational message and story? Yeah. Or, um, or was it someone that introduced you to it? Um, I think it was just it was the inspirational stories I heard in school in terms of, you know, the mythology side of things. And then from that, it went to the comic books. And, you know, the comic books were great. There were pictures that you could read and, and you know, that kind of... Um, Getting easy. away from it, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's the... 
imagination isn't it? it's the escapism of it it's, it's that concept that somebody can do something above the human capabilities mm. and if that's possible then anything's possible well i mm. mean you know you are doing extra human work i think you know with all the patients that you're seeing and all the great work that you're doing and all the different things yeah i don't know if my patients would always say that but thank you for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but you know it is mythology i think has the opportunity to give you the escapism it has the opportunity to give you that way of talking to other people's you know i, I love talking to my son about these stories you know trying to introduce him to this whole world of, of or universe of what can be and you know right now his favorite is spider-man everything is spider-man spider-man and you know what that's great yeah. you know he's got this concept of, of this individual that can do amazing things mm. and yeah he'll then go off and and try and climb something and you know obviously i'm there the anxious parent just hoping he doesn't fall and yeah. you know break his arm or something like that but at the same time that's given him the inspiration to try and do something that i know a few months ago he wouldn't have done because he was too scared you know and it can gives we, him can we give that to patients can, can we give that to our uh, gp colleagues i'm um, i think we need to I think how you speak to each person is obviously that individual message. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the voices they need to hear. And, yeah, fair enough, if we go off and tell someone, go off and be Spider-Man, that may not work. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's hearing inspirational messages from people they um, respect and, and can understand. So, actually, there's a really good scheme that does that. Um, so, I don't know if you've heard of a, a, a scheme called the Next Gen GP. Um, it's something I've been fortunate to, to engage with, so I, I was one of the Nottingham cohorts for it. But it was a scheme um, started by a doctor called Nishma Manik, um, who's one of the NHS England Clinical Fellows. Um, it's been running, I think it's now it's the second year, um, if I remember rightly. And it's basically giving young clinicians um, and le young potential leaders the opportunity to hear from those experienced leaders that have done you know, what we kind of aspire to do. Um, and not necessarily that they're all you know, established, you know, career driven people, you know, so some of these people are, are truly, you know, one of the, the ones I've, one of the most impactful ones I've heard was hearing from um, Dr. Nikki Kanani, who's our current um, director of primary care NHS England. Um, so similar age to myself, you know, amazingly accomplished woman, the stuff that she has done is just mind boggling and how she does it and, and the, the inspiration she gives when she speaks. Um, another one, unfortunately, I missed, but I, I'm trying to catch up on on a second event, is um, one of our colleagues who, as a medical student, took over three practices, and they're now running more effective than some of their neighbouring practices. And this was as medical student she did this. You know, I mean, if you know someone at that stage in their career can then go on to run three practices effectively, and now she is currently going through training to be a gp but she's running three general practices effectively wow. you know uh, how can that not be inspirational to what an individual can do if they put their mind to it wow wow i yeah. mean th this reminds me of the um the psychiatrist carl jung and you know the whole mythology psyche mm -hmm. of the uh uh of the collective unconsciousness and it's just so vast yeah. and it's just mm -hmm. so uh so much wisdom there yeah and you know it sort of brings everything together both the medicine and the mythology and religion and science mm -hmm. and um he he truly inspires me as a yeah. as a physician mm -hmm. you know he's someone that sort of totally uh takes me into the realms of yeah of mythology 
and the next world and you know the uh, the concept of possibility and potentiality mm-hmm. now to- talking about potentiality sure you know tech and artificial intelligence and okay. healthcare. Yeah. i mean you know we've got we've got two minutes <laughs> okay <laughs> what fine. can you tell uh, me in two minutes about okay ab- so, so. about that massive potentiality Wow. Okay. So um, there, there's no doubt that tech is going to change the way that healthcare is delivered. Yeah. Um, it's a key message that's being pushed um, as part of the contractual changes in general practice, as part of our Secretary of State for Health. You know, Matt Hancock. He, he's a massive user of tech, mm-hmm. um, to the point he's created his own, you know, a separate organisation to drive digital healthcare. So NHSX, which is going to come into establishment shortly, or already is running. I'm not quite sure. Um, and like you said, there's various different aspects to this. There's, you know, the method of consultations, like video consultations, that kind of stuff, which I spend quite a lot of time talking about. So, you know, I, I educate people um, on how to do video consultations and those kind of things. And I actually got some videos about that coming out um, in the coming weeks on my EGP learning channel. Um, but actually, the bigger areas are probably things like AI, genomics, that kind of stuff that's coming through. How that will impact healthcare? Well, I think initially there was a bit of a massive hype train about it and basically you stick AI onto anything and it automatically became 10 times more valuable and that kind of, it was kind of like blockchain, you know. Um, there were some companies that suddenly went out and created blockchain websites of their own established, you know, taco brand kind of thing and all of a sudden they became 10 times more valuable and then it crashed because actually people kind of realized that may not be applicable to everything. Um, but I think AI has the potential to be more supportive um, I, I think it can definitely help. And and to be honest, in some ways we use AI already. So when I look at you know results, I've already got clinical systems that help me identify quicker the abnormal versus the normal kind of results and that kind of stuff. And I can scan those more quickly and effectively because of that intelligent software that does that. Um, more machine learning and actual proper AI is just an advancement on that. Is it at a stage where we can say it's completely and utterly safe and able to manage patient healthcare data and triaging and all that kind of stuff, which is one of its main uses at the moment? I'd argue we're probably not there yet. Some people would say differently. Fair enough. They're entitled to that. Um, but I think it's it's a tool. Mm. And this is the key thing people need to remember. It is a tool. And the tool is absolutely useless without the person to wield it. Mm. Mm. You know, you could have the most amazing all-encompassing hammer that will guarantee to knock a nail into a wall but it still needs the force of the wielder Mm. to move it Mm. yeah Mm. and that's no different when it comes to healthcare and all these technologies and it still requires the patient obviously Mm. but also requires the clinician to interpret all that information because if you just have the system interpreting it that's when you get the google search that says you know 90 percent of what you may say may be cancer Mm. but actually is it Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. where's, where's the humanistic side of that where's the yeah, yeah. you know the understanding of what people are actually saying was the colloquialisms all those kind of different aspects yeah. that make you realize how to filter that down that's sometimes negated by tech um so yeah. it is a definite tool it's a very useful tool um and tech i think we will see massively becoming more and more of the healthcare delivery mechanism but it's important to remember that reliance on the tech itself yeah. is not the focus yeah and I guess the best example I can give you, and um, we are taught time and time and time again in medicine, you know, the patient is the patient, they're not the result. Yeah. So how many times will you see an abnormal result? Mm-hmm. If you just went off that, you'd have an algorithm that you have to follow, a guidance that you have to follow. But it's important to remember that is part of it. The patient is the other part. Yeah. And you have to match those two things up. Otherwise, you're not going to get appropriate outcome. Yeah. 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 And 
we come back to time and we come yeah. back to healing and we come back to experience mm -hmm. and we can't get away from that that we do mm -hmm. need that that wise gandalf uh <laughs> you know with a big beard and yeah. just to say do you know what it's fine yeah it's i mean okay. i I probably see myself more as a games master in that. Um, and I guess one of the other things that I would love to talk about would be um, um, gaming, effectively. So, you know, uh, I'm a massive fan of board games as well as being, you know, a comic geek and mythology geek and that kind of stuff. Can we um, use board games in in uh, medical practice? I hope so. Um, so I'm trialing it. Um, so uh, a couple of weeks I've actually got a session with some of my colleagues um, as a social event. And it, that social event is in a board game cafe. I'm basically convincing my colleagues to come around and play board games. Um, why? It's a great way to unwind. Yeah. Um, great way to engage with people socially because the majority of board games are social-based activities. Definitely some interesting learning skills and that kind of stuff and obviously enjoyment that comes with it. But then that question of can you use it with patients? I'd agree you can. Mm. Um, I have patients where I've said to them, look at what you need. How, how do we need to help your physical and your mental health? And particularly in mental health, I think there's applications for this. Um, you know, those patients that struggle with um, logistical thinking, prioritization, social inclusion, that kind of stuff. And I do think that, you know, things like board games and that kind of stuff can be a route to help them. It's not going to work for everyone. Mm. Fine. You know, everyone needs to find their own message, their own method of trying to find their path kind of thing. But there are definitely groups out there that actually where board gaming, that social inclusion that comes from it, that you know, computational aspect of process learning and that kind of stuff that is inherent in most board games, even something as simple as Monopoly. You know, roll and move. Well, you need to figure out where you need to move from. Where's the strategy that comes with that? Much better games out there, I'll be honest. I'm not the biggest fan of Monopoly. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, lots of things out there in terms of how you interact with people, that kind of thing. And actually, that social inclusion. And I have actually had patients where I've said to them, try it. Just, just try it. I'm not, you know, if you want to, go for it give it a go and then they come back to me and they said you know what this has really made a difference i'm now actually leaving my house once a week to go to this event so i can speak you know play with other people and it, it just brings them that iteration or the other one i've had it is you know parents going off and playing board games with their kids how much of a learning experience is that that family time they're away from the screens they're away from you know the chaos of life and they're spending time with their kids their kids are learning you know those basic skills of literacy numeracy strategy rules you know we have this increase of you know kids going off and you know adhd and all that kind of stuff we're actually just sometimes showing them in a fun way how to engage with rule-based concepts of a board game and stuff that can learn it and you know that's one thing I, for my for me it's a big thing I, I almost every week i sit down with my son and we play you know half hour board games you know he picks the ones he wants to play as he gets older i, I pick you know more complex ones for him to have a little look at you know and, and he loved he absolutely loves it you know every week he's like oh, uh, when, when can we play and <laughs> you know, like, okay not right now because i'm just having breakfast but yeah 20 <laughs> minutes or so let's go for it and you know his skills are learning you know his social skills are improving um we had a community event where he was actually teaching all of his friends how to mm. play the games wow. you know mm. and, and that was just that was amazing you know mm. and that's the inclusion that's the social aspects of it and I, I definitely think that's applicable to health i wish i had studies and journals that could help back me up on that i probably should spend some time trying to do them but you know what that's my view at the moment happy to be told otherwise wonderful it's it's been absolutely amazing uh i, I was gonna call you gandalf for a second <laughs> <Again>. <laughs> that's fair enough it, it's been absolutely I'm... amazing how, how how can people get hold of you 
What's the best um, way? So various different ways. I guess the best way, I'm, I'm on social media, Twitter, at DrGandalf52. Um, I'm not 52 years old, just out of interest. Um, um, or uh, for the more tech side of things, at EGP Learning. Um, and there's the website with that as well, egplearning.co.uk. Thank you so much. No, well, thank you for having me. It's been great speaking to you. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Surgical Spirit podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at The Third Eye Doc and catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk for more information on the work that I do. And please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, and I'll see you next time.